There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer John Seymour, also known as the Sea Monster. So uh, today's guest from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios is Larry Connors. Now, I recognize that for the Ryan Kelly Morning After listeners, uh, it's kind of interesting because just before I did the interview with Larry, uh, I was talking to TJ Moe. And TJ's 26, if I'm not mistaken. And so we were talking about, I said, yeah, Larry Connors. I mean, if you were to do the uh, hashtag Mount Rushmore of St. Louis news anchors, it's like, I mean, Larry Connors is is on their Instacall. Uh, and we actually, and you'll, in this interview, you'll, you'll hear Larry and I discuss this. But for our audience who is younger, and I recognize there's a good number of people in their 20s who, who listen to the Ryan Kelly Morning After and the podcast, certainly and even 30s, who just didn't watch local news or just doesn't watch it anymore, never did, whatever the case might be, these names for someone who, in my case, was in the business, but then also grew up in the 1980s and 1990s in St. Louis, these guys, and also I think you'd probably put Karen Foss, for example, uh, in the Mount Rushmore category, uh, were superstars, kind of the basis, I think, really, for the Ron Burgundy anchorman uh, character because these guys truly did run markets in each one of their markets. And Larry Connors uh, certainly was one of those people. As a matter of fact, he, and I didn't realize this until we did the interview, uh, started in St. Louis in 1975 and went from KMOV to KTVI, Fox 2 now, and then back to KMOV and was at KMOV all the way till 2013. I mean, that's just absolutely unheard of. And I also think which is kind of weird because it was a big part of my life, but I also recognize the audience and plus they see me and I look like a, a hoodlum, but my career started in television and, uh, and I recognize there's probably a lot of people who have no idea or didn't remember or whatever the case might be, but I worked with Larry Connors and Julius Hunter, Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore, uh, at KMOV when I was 23 years old, I was the number three guy in the sports department. There was Steve Savard, Doug Vaughn and myself. And, to meet Larry Connors and Julius Hunter was like meeting George Clooney and Brad Pitt. It was just a huge deal for me. And at that time it would have been for a lot of people, especially if you grew up here and you were getting into this business. So to work with them and to, to walk out there at 23 years old and have them on my right, as I'm anchoring a sports cast, it's probably the most nervous I've ever been. I, I still th look back on it. God, that's so weird. Now, now you watch, if you do watch local news, I realize not many people, especially our audience are watching local news, but uh, everybody's in their, their early mid twenties. Larry and I talk a little bit about that, but that's the way the business has shifted is, is revenues have adjusted and then you hire cheaper and that's, that's the game. Whatever the case might be, 
uh, Larry has truly seen it all in St. Louis. Um, and not only do we, we discuss that in his career, but also, and I truly wasn't expecting to get this in depth into it, but his firing from KMOV, uh, a lot of detail. I mean, a lot of detail. I, I think we probably spent 10, 15 minutes on it. And uh, it's the first time I've certainly heard him talk openly about it. Uh, and there's a hell of a story, uh, Larry told. So I would really recommend uh, digging in. And this is one of those interviews where, you know, you guys can see it here. Sea Monster and Nick uh, Yell are in here with me. I had these little bullet points. And it's, what, a list of seven things. And one of them is Larry's name. So, <laughs> so that gives you an idea. But that's what I like. To, I just like to sit down and talk with the guests. And it's a conversation. And this one... Again, it's just like, God, if I had to rank my favorites, I don't know what I would, I don't know where I would go. But this one, I think I didn't anticipate it to go uh, as in-depth as it did. I think Larry kind of got at a point emotional. It was reflective. Uh, it was it was damn good. So I, I'm looking forward to getting people's feedback, as always, on any of our interviews, any of our questions from the audience. I'd prefer not to get your feedback on my gambling picks because that's just I, I know they're bad and I don't need you to remind me. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Email me anytime. Uh, and we want to make sure that we thank our sponsors because without our sponsors, this thing does not exist. And I need to make sure that I ask you to support the sponsors. And as I said, we're broadcasting live on podcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly and his team at the HomeLoanExpert.com have been doing incredible work for years, not just in St. Louis, but now throughout the Midwest. And if you're in the market to buy a home, if you're in the market to refinance, make sure that you're going to do business with thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly's team is second to none, and that's why his business has continued to grow. The focus on saving his customers money and providing them with customer service that's second to none is why. Ryan Kelly in the Home Loan Expert online at thehomeloanexpert.com. So without further ado, here is my conversation with our teammate, at 590 The Fan KFNS, Larry Connors and his show, Larry Connors USA, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And you know him also from uh, local news, both at KMOV and at Fox 2 KTVI. Larry Connors here on The Tim McKernan Show. Good to see you doing so well, by the way. Thank you. Good. I enjoy this, man. I, I like, you do, do, What do you, do I you know. like? I, get, I, get. I guess I'll start. Do you, how, how do you like radio versus TV? I love radio. I started in radio. That's right. Yeah, so I have a long history of radio. I prefer it, and I don't know why that is. I guess for me— Because we get dressed like this. Yeah, probably. I mean, I look like I just, I just emerged from under an overpass. But Yeah, well, I, I was going to give you a dollar, but I you know. <laughs> but with, the t with TV, especially with sports, I have like two, two and a half minutes. Right. I'm reading off a prompter. There's no right. creativity. Totally different ballgame right. than doing news. But if you want to opine— as a, as a local news anchor, there really wasn't well, room the, for that. Well, the, the option there was, of course, uh, you know, being the last filter for what we put out, at least of what I read. Now, if one of the other anchors are reading it, I mean, I might have a chance to see it. I might not. Yeah. And I was very big on, um, in fact, they. I think Julius gets credit or blame. There's a thin line between credit and blame for calling me, uh, labeling the, the uh, uh Commander Connors as a command anchor, <laughs> and I do believe in making command decisions. I, you know, I, you know, I've got years of producing in the business. I've got years of understanding video and everything else. So, you know, I don't have to go ask somebody something. I can make a decision if I had to make the decision. But I, you know, you have a lot of other good people around you too. It's not like it, it's my newscast. Mm -hmm. But uh, if anything goes wrong, well, I'm the one sitting at the top of the rocket. And if it looks great, then I get 
praise and the other people don't get the praise they deserve. And if it went south, I get all the that's blame. That's the way it works. <laughs> but that's that, the nature that's of the beast. That's part of the game. That's yep. exactly that's right. Exactly. I, I have certainly learned that. Yeah. How many years did you anchor with Julius? Let me stop and think. When I came here thinking I'd be he here. He left for, in like the end of 2004. Well. I remember that. I came here thinking I'd be here for two years. That was 1975. Wow. So I was at Channel 4 for four years, 75 to 79. And when they brought me in, Tom Batista was going to make me the news anchor because uh, uh, Pat, uh, on Patrick Emery had just at the time he had hired me suddenly decided he's going to go do a game show in L.A. And I told him, I said, well, you know, you've got Julius. I've seen him on the weekend when I'd been in. So why wouldn't you put him in? And this is 1975. So we couldn't do that. He said it would never fly in this market to have a black man with a white woman because he had Betsy Bruce on that time. I said, now you still can't do that. I said, well, that we just so. So then I came in, and so definitely Emory had left, and we we're still talking about. It. I said, well, I would like to get to, and they decided by then to go ahead and make Julius the anchor because they had to make some decision. And I was more than willing to be an anchor, but I like to kind of get to know the city. You know, I think that's important. Yeah. I said, well, I probably need to spend some time on the street learning the city first. And the anchor job at that time was you didn't get a chance to go out and do anything. Well, I guess they took it that I didn't want to be an anchor. So then they brought in Steve Schiff, who had been on the beach for a while. So Schiff was with Julius from 75 through past 79, something like that. And I, in 79, I went back, I got hired by Channel 2. Uh, Raven Matthews came to town. And were there non-competes me. at that time? There were, but the the way it was structured at that time with CBS, the boilerplate was uh, the station had the right of first refusal. Oh. So if they did not exercise that, then I was free to go. And it would it was not just on compensation. It was on, like, schedule or, or what are interested the talent. In other words, I could have taken less money at Channel 2, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> on the to, right, that is to, on the record. To be a prime anchor, right. where I wasn't a prime anchor over there at 4, and I was not going to be a prime anchor as long as they had Steve and Julius together. I see. And so I went over to 2 and then started a career over there. went very well, and then they brought Susan Kidd in. I guess about a year or two later, I'd worked for a while with a guy named Don Schroeder, and that didn't work out, and they brought Susan Kidd in. Now, when you say it didn't work out, you didn't have a good, or it didn't work on the ratings? I, it, what, it, I, didn't, it, didn't work on, it didn't work on Don's part, because I, I don't think his heart was ever really in being here. His wife kept wanting to go back down to Alabama or wherever they were, and, and I think he was, I'm not sure what his plan was. I think he kind of had in his mind that he'd leave, and then he'd come back to a different station down there which he ended up doing. So uh-huh. I think that's part of his game plan. So then they brought in Susan Kidd, and we clicked immediately. Although watching Susan that first day when she's doing the audition, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've helped co-anchors audition. And my job always at that point, Tim, had been the attitude that make them look good. I mean, I, I don't have to show up anybody. I mean, I'm trying to make them look good. But Susan had her own. It, it, something went wrong, and she started cursing, effing, and everything else. And I kind of looked at her. And this crew kind of looked there and I thought, well, this is interesting. This is first day? On her, one of her auditions, yeah. Oh, while we're my out God, there. on the audition. And, and she just, you know, but I could tell it's just her character. Partly she's nervous, and secondly, she just the way she was. She and I really became very good friends. She's, I mean, you know, engaging personality, and, you know, she didn't mind throwing around F-bombs at a time when ladies didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're talking about 79, 80, yeah. 80, I guess, somewhere yeah. there. Uh, so then it worked well, and then... Uh, then Cohen hired me back to Channel 4, Teen Move Julius, in uh, 
86, started December 86, December 1. Now, again, Channel 2 let me out of that non-compete. They had a ironclad. In fact, they didn't have any contracts while I went over there. Raven ended up using my CBS contract to write the Channel 2 contract, which is fine. I never had intentions to go back to Channel 4. Thought it was over with. But then that came back to bite me later when they wanted to hire me to go across town. But uh, the management at 2 at the time had a really warped sense of thinking. They thought, well, you know, let's get rid of this salary, get rid of him. We don't need him. We, you know, we got a good audience built up, and we'll bring in uh, a guy out of Lafayette, Louisiana, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. And I told him, I said, I hope you got a good contract because it's not going to go well for you, and they will can you in a hurry. Mm. So because, You told the replacement? Uh, yeah, I told him, I said, I, 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 I'd pull for you, but I'm going to be working against you. That's the <laughs> problem. I says, if I were just leaving town, it might be better for you. But I'm trying to be honest with you. I, I know my followers, and I don't think they're going to stay. So anyway, and I, and I, I think he took it in the right stride. Although we, <laughs> he did spend a lot of days in those early days out in his car and long breaks uh, hitting the bottle a bit. Oh, did so, he? Yeah, yeah, he, did. he had a nip so, of the cooking sherry? Pro, pro, well, it helped, I think it helped him a little bit courage-wise. Well, anyway, th- that, <laughs> that aside, they had allowed me, Channel 2 had allowed me, and it worked out a deal that I could go to work on December 1 at Channel 4, my last day at Channel 2 would be the last day in November. And for the last month of November, they only wanted me doing the 5 o'clock news. I said, well, I'll do more. You want me to do some reporting? Nope, just come and do the 5 o'clock news. So I'd roll in. My car would barely be <laughs> coolant, would barely be turned down by the time I walked back out and got back in and left. That's all they wanted me to do. Oh, and continued good. to pay the same money. Right. thought, this is not a bad thing. Yeah. I should stay here. <laughs> the other thing is they had allowed Channel 4 the last week of November to start promoting that I was going there. Oh, my God. And Channel 2 was That's still promoting. Of. I know. 2 was still promoting me on Channel 2. Billboards were up everywhere. And they did not take them down. And I found out later their philosophy was, well, Folks will be confused. They won't know where to find Larry. Well, then we had a big ice storm hit that January, late January, and they could not take down billboards for another two months <laughs> if they'd wanted to. So it was the strangest thing oh I'd never been through. Oh, so. my God. I didn't realize you got one back to KMOV in 86. Yeah, that's, I was and that's when 90. I teamed up with Julius at that point. At 86? Yeah. So were you Julius was at that years? point. He was, um, and I've always had respect for Julius. Even when I was... Over two, would pe- folks would say, well, you and Julius. I said, no, I mean, you respect the guy and what he does. It'll make a difference if you're working for him or against him. Uh, but he was tired and just burned out, and it really revitalized him and added years to his career. He was career. tired in 86? Yeah, he, really? was, he was burning out, and and it kind of gave him a new life. And we hit a, you know, hit a good stride. It went well, and, and uh, then he kind of went, you know, I have to understand. I mean, he was just kind of tired a little bit, so he wanted to do something else, which we all understand at some point. Working with you guys, first off, it was, I still, I can't, I, I was telling these guys, I said, I worked with Larry. Oh, when you walked in, I started hearing you, I said, that is one talented man. I'm serious. Wow, how about I've, said, I've said that about one other person, which might surprise you, Kevin Slayton. How when, about this? When Kevin first came in at Channel 4. You Ooh, know, he was super young at the time. Right, he well. was super young right out of college. And I said the same thing about him, and then later he... Went to two. I went over there, and then he went, or yeah, and then I went back, and Zip followed me back. I, I can't remember how it all broke out, but I said the same thing about him. A lot of talent, creativity. Same thing you when you walked in. That I when I watched that. you in your presentation and on-air delivery, your vitality, the way you engage with the audience. That's, well, this that's is a, a great thing to hear. I wasn't. Well, I, I'm, I, I appreciate. I appreciate. I shared it. it with others. I just, 
I didn't want to give you too big of a hit. <laughs> it was already, it was already I was 23 in St. Louis. I thought I ran things. But I remember sitting on the anchor desk. I mean, for real. To sit on the anchor desk in St. Louis, as it, it, didn't, it wouldn't have mattered who I was with, but to sit on the anchor desk and look on my right and see you, and then on your right is Julius Hunter, and I'm thinking to myself, this is just an absolutely well, unreal not, feeling because yeah. you guys, I was just telling TJ Moe, uh, and he goes, who do, you, who do you have coming in for the podcast? I said, Larry Connors. And uh, I said, boy, Larry and Julius, I said, if you were doing, and we always mock Mount Rushmore's on our show in the morning, but if you were doing a Mount Rushmore of St. Louis news anchors, I would have to say you and Julius would be on there. I mean, like like you would be my Instacalls poker well, reference. Like, There'll be numerous like, poker references in this, and but that would be an Instacall. Yeah. You and Julius would be on there. I don't yeah, know and who I else. think Dick Ford would. Dick Ford, uh, I also uh, mentioned uh, that to uh, those uh, guys. Reference, and, and, and Karen would, too. And I, that's who I was thinking. Karen's... Karen's a, actually when I was at Channel, I, I'm taking you off a track. Let me let no, you there's finish no, your, no, let me there's finish no your such track. thing okay. as a track in here. Well, the, <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that. And uh, Karen, when I was over at two, before I got hired back to four, uh, we were thinking about hiring her to team up with me at Channel Two. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on who was a news bolster at Channel Five at the time. We knew he was interested, but we saw her audition tape. So this is the news director you're speaking of? Bill Bolster okay. was the GM at Channel GM, 5 okay, okay, at Kenheim, okay. and Raven Matthews was the news director at uh, four, uh, 2. And so we're thinking about hiring, and I'm just talking to men, I'm looking at her tape, and say, yeah, it's very good. She really is. I said, she's she's polished. I said, but I don't get any connection, but I, you know, we'll see how that goes. Well, then Bolster moved on her first and picked her up. And then once she hit air here, and what year do you recall? This, you're really good with the say, years, clearly. Do you, do you recall what? Well, I do remember when she left, they said she was the longest-running news anchor. And I thought, that's not right. But, you know, it looked like a small fry crying. I mean, she yeah. had, she came in three years after I'd been anchoring here. And Julius had been anchoring before me, but Julius had left before me. So right, right, right. anyway, that aside, uh, when I saw her on the air, we could tell she was not as good as she was on that audition tape. Which you know, sometimes people make an audition tape literally photoshopping yeah. your audition tape. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> not that she wasn't good. And I was teaching at the time at Broadcast Center, teaching some journalism classes from time to time. And they told me one day they're going to have her come in. The station was sending her to Broadcast Center to uh, be better prepared and, and understand delivery techniques and things of this nature. And I said, guys, I can't. You, you got to have somebody else do that and make sure it happens on the time I'm not here because it's going to be embarrassing to her. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And that that, yeah. that wasn't work for me. I mean, it's just not right. Uh, and I, I I thought Karen Foster was amazing. I mean, here's a gal, a, a gal, obviously no disrespect into there, but a woman who had uh, you know been divorced, had one child, I think, maybe two. I can't recall now. Working at the news station in Kansas City as a secretary or something, kept working her way up and getting a chance and making the most of it. She pulled herself up. The woman gets credit for doing that so many ways, then became an icon female anchor in St. Louis. Absolutely. I had female. Just. <laughs> <laughs> but my problem with her, once, even when she got better and got on the air, I, it was just, to me, it's just too cool. to. It was a network style anchor, okay? But I don't think that's what this market wanted. They wanted a connection, a oh. relationship. Uh, when my big thing when I was teaching students to do anchor work is they would read the story and I'd take the script and sit down, tell me the story. I said, even if the facts are getting a little bit, tell me the story. Think of how you're saying that would improve your delivery. 
but yeah, they could read and sound polished, but a lot of folks can read and sound polished. Can you make that connection, you know, through the screen or in this case, through that speaker to that audience that you connect with them? That's, that's what sets many apart. I had a guy, which is going to lead me into a question, if I can remember it, when I, my first TV job, and I was lucky, I was only there for seven months in Little Rock before I was lucky enough to get to KMOV in 2000. His name was Andy Pearson. He was the uh, news anchor there. And he said, watch your sportscast with no audio to see if you are conveying something right. with your facial expressions, which I would imagine you're already nodding. That's something you're familiar with. I don't know if you taught it. And then also then turn off the monitor, but listen to the audio and hear your inflection. And to me, that those are those are things. Yeah. What, what would you tell somebody who's aspiring as far as like pro tips, that connection, telling a story? I love that idea. That, there, I never that's heard the that. biggest thing, because I mean, and, and it could be a uh, basically a story about a city council vote or it could be a murder. Now, too many times you'll find folks putting the inflection on the wrong word and, mm. and you'll see them overselling. Mm. I, I watch network anchors do that on a constant basis. It's it's going to be seven inches of snow. I think, <laughs> what the I hell mean, was that? And after they said snow several times, then you just say seven inches, eight inches, nine. But I watched one the other day. Kept saying snow every time. I said, I got it. It's snow. <laughs> yeah, you know. settle down. And and but it's it's just uh, choosing the words. And and I would tell them. I said I could read the same story three different ways and give you three different approaches on yeah. it, depending yeah. on what I'm trying to convey and push through. It, again, to me, it's just making that connection. I've been blessed. To, well, let me put it this way. I have been blessed, but I also have a, got a bachelor of science degree in political science, a BS degree. I use the BS all the part, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it goes well with coming out of science. It's very easy. Big boots and uh, BS. <laughs> and that helps the cause, yeah. doesn't it, man? Especially when you're doing radio. So if I can remember to get to this, I always felt like, when I would get on that anchor desk with you and Julius, and I could be wrong, but I mean, you see what goes on in commercial breaks. Like I made reference to Little Rock. There were some, not brawls, but verbal. And, <laughs> and I, at the time I was 22 and I'm going, God, I guess this stuff goes on all the yeah, time. Yeah. But you and Julius, it seemed to me anyway, I mean, friends, for, I mean, I, I think oh, we that were. would be fair. I mean, which then leads to chemistry and some of the best stuff would be when we would be doing the 10 o'clock show. And granted, Steve Savard was the, the, the number one, Doug right. was the two, I was the three. Right. So in those times where I'd be filling in and you guys were having a great time and you'd be laughing at my stuff like I was George Carlin, but it was so much damn fun out well, there. Well, but it's, that's what the point with you. You're very creative and some little pieces you drop in, you know, were worthy of it. Wasn't <laughs> I've always had a saying about this business. If you can fake sincerity, you'll have it made. But I also really believe in sincerity. Mm -hmm. And when it's sincere, it comes to you. The audience after a while begins to realize these guys don't like working together. But you, you know, could tell you two did. We That's did. the thing. We you did. could tell even yeah. if you weren't there. And it was it was and it created a great vibe because if the two leaders, yeah. even if you're not management, but clearly the leaders still Well, you know are, how it is board, this you end up spending more time with co-anchors and those kinds of folks or your staff here than you do your family sometimes. You do. That's true. And the other thing for me is is uh I've always had a a uh, I might not be exactly the sex chemistry you are, but I've always had a good following of women. And and I and and I have still to this day have a large following of uh, African Americans as well. Partly it's because of the relationship with Julius. I don't know how many times I can be out at Napoli or Capitol Grill now or and I'm just naming some places where I'd see something, then I can go down to South County, the same thing in a biker barn running or out west, 
over in the East St. Louis area, not those clubs. But, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why but, we don't cross paths. <laughs> but uh, no, but you, I've seen your picture anyway. So, <laughs> but uh, the and the comments under the picture are worth that's, a lot. That, yeah. That's 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 the bigger issue. <laughs> no, that wasn't big. That was a point. <laughs> no, but but I still have a lot of them come up and hey, Laurie Conner. In fact, I can be standing somewhere, and if I just start ordering somebody, they'll look at me and they pick up on the voice. I can be in biker garb, but they pick up the voice is signature, man. Well, it, yeah, that's a plus minus sometimes, <laughs> right? But the other point being is that uh, I have a, a large African American following, and I and in my show, radio show, they they know now that I'm very strong conservative, but I'm also very fair. My ex, uh, she had uh, her sister had married a black man, so they, you know, so and my sister down in Texas at one point now in Florida was dating black. So to me, it's never been an issue on race anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad that I have that kind of support this audience and it continues. I, and of course they always ask, where's Julius? And I wonder how many times Julius has asked, where's Larry? And he's probably said, yeah, no telling what Julius said. <laughs> you know, Julius can be real cantankerous sometimes. I haven't seen him for 15 years. You haven't seen Julius for 15 I years? I haven't. Somebody asked the other day, is he dead? I said, no, I think I would have heard that. But uh, he had, um, the last time I saw him, his health didn't look good. His weight was way up. Uh, you know, he's got some health issues. But I will say this about Julius. When I came to town and I was hired, and I was not the anchor at that point, uh, I was single. He invited me over to his house to meet his wife and his two daughters for a Sunday barbecue, something like that. We're sitting in the back. Now, I remember seeing his oldest. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm forgetting their names. I'm ashamed of that. Uh, but she's chasing a robin around the backyard. The robin keeps jumping just ahead of her. And the I think the little one was in the house sleeping or whatever. But, you know, how gracious to invite a guy in to just come spend the weekend. He knew I had nothing to do that weekend. Right. Really. Well, I remember there was one year, and I guess you guys did this traditionally, where you would, on New Year's Eve, because we would still have to anchor, even you guys, you would think they'd bring in, like, the seventh string for the holidays, but even you guys would still come in on New Year's Eve. Now, of course, I'm on the shift. That makes sense. But you guys being on the shift doesn't make sense, but whatever. And you would always invite the anchors, sports and weather, and then, of course, you and Julius, and wear tuxes. And I believe we went to Julius's house and the central. So I'm, like, 24, and I'm with I'm at Julius's house with Larry Connors. I think Ken Earhart was... Was mm-hmm. there as well? I think you're right. Yeah, and I just remember going. I just, I just don't belong. I feel like I should be bussing the table for yeah. the. <laughs> but well, that was the intent. But apparently, for <laughs> next thing we know, you're sitting down eating and drinking. I look at you and say, "Well, that didn't work." <laughs> that, that, that blew up in our face. <laughs> but that's the way it was. Yeah. It was. It was a great group of people. It was super. Right. Super fun. It really, truly was. Well, it was. We enjoyed each other a lot. We really do. So, yeah. Uh, I think. When Julius left, he had the opportunity to go work for St. Louis University, you know, for Beyondy. And he was excited about it, and I was excited for him. But, you know, it didn't last very long because you remember when they brought in uh, Majerus, the coach, basketball yeah. coach. 2007. They need, more, they need money, so they cut Julius. <laughs> oh, is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, so, you know, they took uh, t- that's the story I got it. Anyway. Oh, so, man. Yeah. So in your career, to see the business where it was, and what year did you start? Because you got to St. Louis in 75, but you had to. I was, uh, it all started in one kilowatt radio station. (laughs) It's a legitimate story. (laughs) 
In I Texas? Was, I was, yeah, I was in Big Spring, Texas. Well, I have it used no to be Big I... Springs, but one of the springs dried up, so <laughs> it became singular. singular. Yeah. So uh, I was in high school taking. I had always fought against two courses I didn't want to take. I didn't want to take language, so I looked for every way I can get out. That's why I don't have a BA. It's a BS, so I can avoid language. <laughs> I wish and that's a stupid mistake. Part of it had gone back when I was in grade school. I had to take Spanish in West Texas. And it was being taught to us by a little five-foot red-headed French woman, Mrs. Le Bon. And Mrs. Le Bon trying to teach us Spanish and with a French accent. It totally screwed all of us <laughs> up. So, you know. What are the chances of yeah, that? Yeah, I know. That's what I'm thinking. But later in, in high school, then the other course was speech because I thought speech was for kids who had a speech impediment. I didn't really realize. But then once I got into it, I got into debate and everything else. And then we had a local radio show we would put on at a local station Mrs. Jones' English class uh, would would be holding a car wash at Mr. Jones' Texaco, and that'd be some of the stuff we'd be doing and some other little skits. And I learned to run the board, learned to do that, and I enjoyed being behind the mic and doing stuff. And that was starting at age 15 because wow. at 16, my parents let me go on a bus in the middle of the night to go all the way to Dallas to go be there the next morning to get my third class operator's license. I had to sign it to actually work full time at the station so I could sign it off at night and do all the charts and everything. You had to take a had to have a third class operator's license. And so I was never going to get any farther if I did do that. <clears throat> so I did that, got there that morning, two hours before it opened. As soon as they open, I go with and take my test. I ask, can you tell me right now what I did? And there was no one else there. I said, all right. So I found out I passed great. Had to wait another eight hours for the bus to go back to West Texas. Uh. Got a job at a radio station. First time actually on the air where I had my own shift, had my dad listen. The next day I said, Dad, what do you think? What do you think? He said, you give the time too much. I said, what? Well, and and like, looking back, that yeah, I'd say it's 8.55, coming up on 5 minutes for 8. Uh, pretty soon will be 4 minutes to 8, and uh, you know, and so, or whatever the time was. And I had no patter, you know, uh -huh. had, had no way. And so I learned to do that. And then I was over a summer I was working at one station, and another station needed somebody on Sunday morning. So I'd go there on Sunday mornings, basically run their board and mostly run programming, uh, pre-recorded stuff, except occasionally I had to get a, a legitimate time check or station ID. Well, the owner of the first station, KBST, heard that I was on KBY KBYG one Sunday, and he called me on Monday and said, did I hear you on KBYG yesterday? I said, yes, sir. He said, you work for me? I said, not on Sundays. He said, no, you work for me. You can't work for both. You have to work for one or the other, me or them. I said, well, I'll, he said, you work for me. You don't work for them anymore. I'll give you a little bit more. I said, okay. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. I learned for, negotiating yeah, early. Yeah, first negotiation was a win. That was a nice win. Yeah, I tell you, I made a real screw up one day over at that KBYG, though. I was, we were taking the Notre Dame football game. It was very big. that sell it big out in West Texas. I don't, you know, I didn't know the connection at the time on these large reels and you'd have to take it down and put another one up and you put the other reel over here and rewind it, get it ready. Well, I got busy with a cut in all the stuff going on and so forth. So 40 minutes into the game, I got a, we're now ready hitting the time because we'd do a delay. So I put up the reel and I start to cue it up. I'm like, Oh my God, I've done something wrong. This is not a Spanish. It's, it's a foreign language. What is this? What did I do? I'm checking all the switches. I'm listening to the game over here. It's good. I call 
a guy that's in the station came in and the general manager happened to walk in and said, what's going on with you? And he listened. He doesn't understand it. The engineer, they called him and said, we got a problem down here. We're getting ready to go. This, this thing has to be on the air in 15 minutes. We don't have the right game. What are we going to do? The engineer said, came in and said, heard it and he said, you didn't rewind the tape. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Did you hear all the, yeah, you know, the yelling, you couldn't tell rewind or not, but the language didn't work. So, so I, I could have been dropped at that point, but the, but the general manager didn't know it either, so that saved me. <laughs> so you had to stick around. Yeah. So from that point, how does it go from radio to TV? I went from there to Amarillo, Texas. Uh, I had to put out feeders for jobs at different places. I'd gone to uh, San Antonio for an interview. I'd gone to Austin. Are these TV or uh, radio? Radio, radio, radio. Okay. Because I was doing, had my own board shift and everything there. But we were MOR, and some of these other stations were country or whatever. And, and so I told him, I said, well, I can do country. It's just that this is our format. You understand that. Well, I, I had an interview. I had a girlfriend that went with me. We were, were going to San Antonio, I guess it was. And I, this guy had agreed for me to come in. Of course, this before texting, emails. You'd send a letter and follow up with a call, and yeah. I'd show up. He kept me waiting for a while. I'd go in and see him, and, of course, I'm nervous. I'm, what was that then? I guess maybe maybe 1920. I, I can't recall. And he said, ah, oh, son. And he's 27. That son called me son. son. And he's calling his son. Yeah, but he's a program director, you know, <laughs> in a San Antonio. Yeah. He said, I, I got my advice to you is, Find another line of work. You're not going to do it in broadcasting. It just you're just not going to be able to do it. Well, you know how that could be a kick in your stomach oh, if somebody yeah, told man. you that in Arkansas, it would just gut you. Yeah. Well, shoot. I mean, you know. So I was kind of depressed for a while. I thought, well, that's just one guy. You know. So thank God I pushed past that. But still, that was. Wow, his I'm surprised you heard that. I truly. Yeah. Am. Well, I mean, you know, who knows? It's of one guy. I, you're right. It's of one course, guy. I also had a heavy Texas accent, and I, you know, I remember one guy that was helping me out. He said. Do we have a horse in City Hall? I said, what? He said, well, I heard you talking about we have a horse, a female horse in City Hall. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you said the mayor, the mayor, Mayor Owens? Yeah, he said, it's mayor, not mayor. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the same thing, you know, even then as the sirens were going off. Sirens? I think they lured men and ships to the rocks. (laughs) You mean sirens? So I, I, had, I had a learning curve. I mean, cultural learning curve, everything, and gradually kind of began to clean it out. And so then I ended up getting a job in, uh, I'm drawing a blank on a K, KXI, I, something like that in Amarillo. I was the news director of a two-man news department. <laughs> but I was very good about staying on top of things. And the local, t- uh, local TV news producer, director, saw me and began to realize I was chasing down a lot more stories than they had, and so he hired me going to TV. That's how it Actually, happened. I was reluctant to do it, though, Tim, because I said, you know, I like radio because I can go in the air immediately with a story. He said, we will set up your two ways, so if something breaks, we'll set it up where you can cut in the programming. And that was the first time they'd ever done that. And there were stories that would come up that I would get to do that. So. And this is in Amarillo. In Amarillo. I yeah, and from there, I ended up going down to Houston. That's I a had a great career jump. in Houston. Yeah, it was, and I... Well, I got the, I was working, I was also, I'd gone in the Marines. Now I'm back doing my reserve duty and still finishing college. It took me six years to do four years because I could only do six to nine hours a semester. I was scheduled 60 hours a week at Amarillo, KVII Channel 7. 
And so I basically had three days out of the month to call my own, three Sundays, one of the Sundays eating up with reserve duty. And so I'm down there talking to the news director, and they like my stuff and everything. He said, yeah, yeah, well, we want to hire you, senior stuff and everything. He said, how much are you getting paid? And I told him, he said, no. I said, yeah, I am. He said, I got to ask you for proof. So I happened to have it paste. I said, he said, oh, my God, okay. He just saw the totals. So he called to my news director. Like, said, this, have a, you guys are paying that much money? They said, well, you, are we paying that much? He said, yeah, I saw his pay. Said, wait a minute, let me check. He said, oh, yeah, we're paying on that. But he's, you know, he's doing that on 60 hours a week. He said, oh, well, ah, <laughs> no, we thought he was no. doing that for 40 hours ah. a week. So uh, did that blow up the negotiation? Yeah, by then I was going to Houston. They were going to get me down there. And so I, I worried about, you know, would I be able to be good or not? But, you know, again, I got a chance. So are you anchoring in Houston? Story. I actually, when I first went in, they were using me as just a, a beat reporter and then quickly moved me to, quote, investigative reporter. I did do a lot of weekend anchoring and sub-anchor. And I love the anchor work, but at the same time, we had so many major stories breaking there that I was involved in. I I got as much, if not more time, than some of the anchors and a lot more prestige and credit. For being honest the guy, with, yeah. yeah, for what I was doing, yeah. And then is that what led to you coming to St. Louis? Yeah, Houston? yeah I got uh, that's was Houston because Houston's what market four or five at the now, time. Yeah, at small. the time it was it was outside the top twenty, and I think St. Oh, Louis really? is twelve. It might have been inside it barely, but this wow, was wow. So it's grown this, that much. Yeah, this is ten or twelve at that time. Wow. How about and that? you know how it is for the audience listening. The markets are determined by population, and there's not a lot of difference between fifth through nine. You know, it's 102,000, mm. right. but it's ranked it anyway. It's first, second, third is big difference. But, and as I was in Houston, I'd gotten a, an offer from KAB, uh, well, two offers, one from ABC Network. Uh, I take it back. That came here later. Anyway, KNBC out so of LA. LA. Yeah. And I had an offer and I, the tape, I found out about it because the tape that was supposed to be sent back to channel five news director in Houston some person gave it, took the address of my address and sent it to me. And it was a tape saying, Ray, I'm returning the tape. This guy is great. And we'll get him out of the market. And there was a letter inside race who headed up channel five times said, this guy is good. I want to get him out of the market, you know? And so can you offer him a job? And so it was, and I sent a copy of it on to race said, thanks for the help. And he just kind of moaned a little bit. Said, yeah, okay. <laughs> so then when I got the job, I, but the reason I came here is because this station was the first channel four the first in the nation to go total ENG. That's and right. I thought that's a cutting edge. I want to be on the cutting edge where everything, no more film processor and everything is done live in the field. There was only one other reporter here that the two of us, because we had a background in radio, were the best in the field report breaking story. Could have get a simple facts in a hurry, get on the air with it quickly. Herb Humphreys. Herb Humphreys, the, night uh, yeah, side. That's right. <laughs> and Herb Humphreys was here and he had also old radio. And again, he's a good storyteller. Now, the problem with Herb, it would go long. <laughs> he, he couldn't edit and condense some, but he was very good. Yeah. So I came here, and then these guys were learning the ENG, and then we were the cutting edge for the CBS O&O stations. And then as the new equipment came on board, it all went Chicago or L.A. or New York, and these guys still were saddled with the old heavy stuff. So, oh. uh, it, it, But it still paid off for me. I, I, I had no interest in going to L.A. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, you know. Well, clearly it worked out. My yeah, God. I, I mean, to have the run, I've been very have blessed. Run, very that's blessed. That's just unheard yeah, of. I, I've been. Very when you blessed. look at the the industry now, 2017, when we're talking, 
versus 1975. Like, I look at it just from when I started, and I go, oh, I, I cringe right. because I was like the freak at 23, and now I feel like anytime I turn it on, and I don't really watch all that often, but like everybody in the field anyway, seems to be around 25. And, you know, Tim, you, that's, you nailed something. We, we all were at that point, and that's understandable. I mean, and everybody has to start and learn. The problem is what, what I'm seeing now is they're bringing them in way too green, way too young, uh, and they're not experienced, and they, and more importantly, they've dropped the upper echelon. Now, this is not against uh, this is not a slam against Savard or Bush or anybody like that. It's just that well, neither one of them have their roots in news. Bush has been in longer now than Steve, and Steve does a really good job. And Steve is an expert when it comes to geography. He amazes me on his knowledge of geography. But they don't have a base on that. He made the change because he began to realize sports side is going away. Oh, I, that's I why mean, I left. Was, I knew yeah. it was dying. Yeah. You know? I mean, I remember one time sitting on the desk. Steve's in the anchor chair. And for the audience, uh, sometimes you're in a commercial break, but you can talk to the control room mm -hmm. just by talking. They have your mic open. And he was asking the director today, what's it? Uh, what's the latest on the Cardinal score? And before the director could find it, responded, the kid running the teleprompter, looked at his phone and said, 7-3, Cards. <laughs> I, I pointed the kid over there and said, that's what's going to ruin you yep, in sports. That's the problem. Because if folks are interested in sports, they're going to be following all the time. Absolutely. The only thing I miss about not being a TV news anchor now is being in that chair when a major, major story breaks. Mm -hmm. Because I had, in my mind, and I think for fact, had people that, if something like that broke, they wanted to hear Larry Connors report on it. I would agree with and that. And trusted me, and, and that's what that. you built. And there's only on. a handful of people, like I said, we made well, the reference to the Mount Rushmore yeah, kind of thing that, that would that. be that would that when something like that. Of course, there's so, a backside of Rushmore. Too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> what, what year? What, so, what year was your last year at KMOV? I'm going to 2013. 13, okay, June one when June they decided 1. to fire me. So, what's the backstory on this? Because I'm sure some people listening aren't all that familiar it really started I, I mean they they were trying to get rid of me for some time because of my salary and age and i had a news director he didn't like me wearing blue jeans i said what does nobody matter? cares they see only a lot of us were. he said we'll have shots in the newsroom and you do it now see they move the anchors around if that's going to make it more exciting newscast do, do you care if your news anchor sit behind a desk or moved over the screen or the next time you see them if anything i like seeing my anchor else? on the desk i mean what do you care i yeah. mean it, it doesn't add a dimension other than just you some, know, some, some consultant some, BS. Some consultant said if <laughs> yeah. they move around right. a lot, yeah. the audience is more, I guess, Absolutely. where's Waldo? I don't know what the hell they <laughs> But anyway, so so I said, well, I'll bring slacks, and if I'll check the lineup, and if I have one like that, I'll put on some slacks. Well, sometimes we wouldn't have one, or the director would know that I, that I was working with at 10, and he said, yeah, he said, but, you know, I'll make sure we keep it up high. But it's a remote-controlled camera, and sometimes a person right. it would open up a little bit, and just below my, they would, if they shot below my jacket it was too wide anyway to be quite honest but it could have framed it where it would never really. and then once he get ticked that i still was I said all right so he wanted to get rid of me then uh, the obama interview happened and that blew up big time so the obama interview is is what you interview president obama right you've interviewed how, how many presidents well i don't i don't mention interviewing lincoln because we don't have the tape anymore <laughs> but. i had a whole list of questions on the lincoln interview it's well it's just before the assassination so i thought it's out of respect we decided not to air it no the i've interviewed uh nixon twice uh both bushes reagan carter Obama. I think I think that's all of them.
So the only so then the only ones you're missing then from the seventies would be Clinton, Ford, and Clinton, Ford, Clinton, yeah. And Ford came to the newsroom one time, Channel Four, when he was president. I was there, but at that time, his Julius and Steve were anchors, so I didn't okay. really get to interview. Got him. it. I think I think only Julius did, uh, and then Clinton just never, you know, never had a chance. So uh, when they were looking for somebody to do it, oh, and I'd interviewed Johnson, as a matter of fact. I forgot about really? Yeah, I forgot really? about interviewing Lyndon Johnson, wow. yeah, when he was down in Texas. Right. Spent a lot of time down there. Yeah, which, which real quick story. When when he died, the news director came into the uh, newsroom down in Houston and said, uh, President Johnson just died. Of course, we all, you know, clickers, everything going off, so forth. He said, anyone here ever cover a presidential funeral? I raised my hand. He said, okay, Larry, and he named a photographer. You guys jump in the car and head to uh, Austin, then we'll give you directions. You're going down to his hometown area where he grew up. So, okay. So we're in the car, and we're driving along. The photographer turned to me and said, when did you cover a presidential funeral? I said, I haven't. He said, well, you raise your hand and said, yes. No one else in their head either. (laughs) So so I wanted the story. Which, by the way, when we went to his hometown, uh, to show you how news traveled then compared to now, see, this problem, I'm sorry, I de- deviated again from no, your question. No, that's anyway, what I like. So well, deviate away. It's, so, it's ADD theater in here. <laughs> uh, going around town, talking to people, what do you think about, you know, what he meant to the town? This is a stone, uh, drawing a blank on his hometown where he grew up down but that's where he Brazos had his ranch, Creek. too, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's where he down spent so Creek. much time. Because yeah. I read that book a, by Clint Hill, Brazos The Secret Creek. Service anyway, Agent. spent all the time down there. Yeah. Pernalis Creek is what it was, yeah. And so anyway, I'm talking this one. This one old man is walking across the bo- uh, way. I get my photographer. get a shot of him. He's walking. He's got overalls, straw hat, cowboy hat. Got some two-by-fours over one shoulder and a hammer in the other hand. Just walking, shuffling across. And So we get his picture. And I walk up and say, can, can we talk to you? He said, well, yeah, for what? And I said, well, we want to know what you thought about uh, President Johnson. Did you know him when he was lived here? Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, I owned a candy store. And, you know, I said, I owned a, uh, he didn't call it a candy store, a confectionery or something. He said, he'd come in there. And I know a couple times I think I'd give him a piece of candy. I think a couple times he probably took them, but that's all right. You know, he was good. He was a good kid. I said, so I know you're devastated or heartbroken. Or, or maybe I just flat asked, so what's your reaction now that he's he's died? His mouth dropped open. His hand loosened the hammer. You could hear it. The other hand went up, and the boards are clanking off. All this is on audio, video, and everything. And he said, what? He had not heard. He'd been working on this house wow. for two or three days straight. There's no text, no, you know, no commitment. So, so he had, he had he passed had no three days idea. earlier? He, he had no wow. idea that the president had passed Can you imagine that? that? Like and three hours that. now yeah. is something. I know. And so ABC picked that up and made a big story, which I don't blame. That's a hell of a good story. So. Wow. Uh, anyway, back to here, the interview with uh, Obama when they wanted the, this was when Obama had called, uh, when I'd been to, when I did Reagan, it was n- not so much an interview, but sit down dinner with him basically. And was that in Washington? Or was in, in DC at okay. the white house. It was, uh, where they were calling journalists together to discuss the Iran Contra issue at the okay. time. And I was one of called from this area you know, because of my reputation helped put me at the top of the list. And one of maybe 60 from around the nation brought together, and we were doing a briefing in the office building across from the Capitol. Uh, Larry Speaks, Casper Weinberger, Elliot Abrams, Larry Buchanan, all these guys up there were making their speeches and talking about, and could, we could ask questions. Well, I come prepared. 
and I'm asking some tough questions. In fact, if anyone's asking questions, me, the rest of them didn't want. So, I mean, I'm just constantly asking, you know, and then when it's over, they say, okay, everybody's going over to the white house for lunch. Uh, except would like uh, Larry Connors to come up here. They called my name first. And then they started calling other names. I didn't hear the other names. All I heard my name, I, I guess I lost my invitation. They, you know, cause they didn't like my questions. I get up there and I'm told you will be at the president's table. Wow. Yeah. So it's a table for 10. I had to count around. Maybe it's eight. I guess it's eight. Anyway, he's on the far side of the table. So it's not like we're sitting right, but I go to look at the table, sit down. There's a placard that says president Reagan. I know I don't sit in that chair. So I go around <laughs> for, find my name on the other side. So he comes in. I expect him to just come in. Take a sip of his coffee. Glad to meet you and get up my speech. And he's gone. He comes in, spends the entire lunch with us, talking to us and engaging and having just good conversation. And I'm still trying to be a hard ass reporter, but I'm thinking even Tip O'Neill, the Democrat leader at the time, he would he would give the president, uh, you know, courtesy during lunch. So I'm not blasting him. So we're having, you know, and then when the Obama thing came up. Uh, again, I had more experience than anybody in the operation with presidential interviews and they wanted me to cut a promo for, I went up there saying on, in the promo that I'm going to Washington, I'm going to ask the tough questions, the president, I'll ask your tough questions. And I'm telling the news director and others said, look, you know, I know how these things go. He's got an agenda and I may not get a chance. It's a one-on-one interview, but he will monopolize it and run a monologue. I mean, you have to understand this guys. No, we want you to want you. All right. So I did it. So then I get up there. So when I go in to do the interview with him, when I did the interviews with the Bushes, we're sitting as close as you and I are where we could just lean forward and shake hands. With him, it's almost twice the distance. Uh, you, you had to stand up and take two steps to get to the other chair. Visually, it didn't look good. From a camera, you see him so far apart. Shot over my shoulder, you can't tell how close he is, but the wife. And, you know, now that I think of interviews with him, whether it be like the O'Reilly one, the 60 yeah, Minutes one. It's always close. I wonder why that, wonder why I, that I what don't do you know, think in, in case they didn't trust us, general reporters, I don't know. So I'm in the video where I'm sitting on the edge of my chair, leaning forward. Some people said it shows your attack mode. I said, I'm trying to bridge the gap visually right. is what I was really trying to do. But when we began the interview, and, and I'd heard some of the other questions because we're all watching pool coverage come out. I swear to God, some of the other reporters, anchors are run in there. Uh, one of them, she didn't ask what color you like, but something very similar like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you have a chance to sit with the president. And, of course, he begins with each one talking about the Warren Buffett bill, which he was trying to push at that time. You know, Warren Buffett said, I pay more taxes than my secretary. Mm-hmm. My response to Warren Buffett is, write another check, damn it. No <laughs> one keeps you from writing a check to the government. So, anyway, that was the whole push. So, when we go to sit down, I say, Mr. President, I know you want to— I did not vote for the man either time, but it's still you respect the office. You're the White House. I mean, that's a powerful thing. So I'm respectful. I said, Mr. President, I know you want to talk about the Warren Buffett, but I have a lot of questions from St. Louis, and I'm sure you wouldn't mind answering. So I kind of set the hook. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll do that. And so he talks about the Warren Buffett deal. Only goes about a minute or so compared to what he did with the others. And he said, now you have questions from St. Louis. And I said, yes, sir. And I start off kind of soft, easy. One of them... Well, one of them was not directly soft. At that time, the Supreme Court was getting ready to hear the uh, Obamacare law. And I said, folks think that you have in your remarks that the Supreme Court will do the right thing, that you've kind of used your office as a bully puppet to kind of tell the Supreme Court, do what I want you to do. 
And he kind of laughed, said, well, I'm, I'm president. I can't, you know, we separation power. So it was a good one. Raised a question on behalf of Claire McCaskill, said she's campaigning, facing at that time, Jim Talent, before he shot himself in the leg on his stories, uh, that, you know, she's she was your campaign lead in when you ran for office, and you're not coming into Missouri help her right now, and she's in a tight race. Well, Claire had not gone along with Obama on everything once he got into office. But when she stood up for him, became his champion leader and headed up his campaign in Missouri, she got a lot of flack from women voters who denounced her and said, how dare you choose him over a woman running for office? We will remember we will get you. So she looked at that backlash. She looked at how well talent was running at the time, and she needed Obama to come in and help her. And I said, so they're disappointed you're not down there. He said, well, Claire's a good person, but didn't say he's going to commit. Then came the question. I said, a lot of people have a hard time getting along in the country now. This is 2000, let me backtrack, 13, 11, I guess it is. Yeah. I said, the economy's upside down. They're having a hard time. You know, he's shaking his head. I agree. I said, they can't even take their kids to amusement park weekend. I know. Kind of shaking his head in agreement. It's all on YouTube. And then I say, a lot of them see you and the first family jetting all around the world under color of state business. And they think you're out of touch. You would have thought at that point, Tim, I stood up, walked across that distance and slapped him in the face. His head literally jerks back and he turns his head at me, cocks it to some people who, who some, I said, well, there's some that do that. And he just, his response then was, well, I had to fly on air force one. And that wasn't the question, of course. I'm not going to argue with the president at that point. I just, that was his answer. You know, we have to do this. This is what we're doing. So forth, so on. He took offense at being labeled out of touch and taking the first family everywhere while everybody here can't do anything. So when we did the report that night, I used his answer and then came back and said, that was not the question, as you heard. And I want my president on Air Force One fully protected in contact, but that wasn't it. He did not answer the question. And a lot of people think he's out of touch. And it all blew up back here. You know how it is. Negative is going to precede the positive. Oh, yeah. The station got besieged by calls back here. I'm still in D.C. Getting ready to do the report at 10 o'clock. And uh, I'd, I'd use that bite at 5 o'clock. I did not use it in the 6 o'clock report. I used some of the other stuff. And at 10 o'clock, I'm going to use it again. When I came out of the interview, I had Washington, D.C. reporters who were, you know, hey, that thing's going to hot. Everything, you know, how it's taken off fire. Sure. I said, well, it's just one question. You know, I had other questions, but I ran again. So the, I get a call from the news director. I want to see you when you come back in tomorrow. So the camo V news director, yeah. he wants to see you when so you get come back. In, okay. I, and I, and I'd already pre-cut a piece for the next morning using that line again, because it was the biggest line that came out of the interview and he killed it for the next morning. And I found out about it. I got pissed. And he said, we'll talk about when you get in. Well, that was the opening day of the Cardinals that day I was coming back. And it was a rainy snow, uh, not rainy, but cold day. And he said, we're not going to need you. You can just go on home. So the next day I do go into work. Uh, Wasn't that odd right there? We're not going to need you. I mean, why? Well, uh, you know, it was rainy, cold. The, the, I'm not even sh- I don't remember now if they even played the game or it was well delayed. I don't recall. He said, but, you know, they were going to do some of their live stuff they'd already planned on, but the opening day was not going to be the grand thing they'd right. hoped it to be. So anyway. I, the next day I did go into office and I was glad to, you know, I was tired, beat up. I didn't want to sit out the cold for that. So I went in like, he never once raised the issue with me again, but I knew he was in his crawl. He's looking for a way to get rid of me that. And then, uh, 
Because of the interview? Partly that, my attitude about the jeans, he thinks he's a boss. Secondly, that the money I was making, my age, they were looking. And then we got, when Cohen left, they had a new GM come in. And a new general manager, our new news director in operation, as you know, is like a new dog in the house, going to piss in every corner <laughs> to show that they're there. And so we sat down, and and uh, I had to be out for a while with a, a – well, first of all, I didn't uh, – I can't remember now the timing. I, I guess the Facebook thing about the IRS came up. You remember the IRS rogue agents agent were going rogue, and they were doing stuff they weren't supposed to be doing, which later they denied, and then later they admitted I'd been told after the Obama interview, everybody said, you watch, the IRS going to come back. I said, we don't do that. I, we don't do that in this country. Well, I had a, a, a tax issue that I'd put on a battle with an attorney that we were kind of— This is before your interview with President it, Yeah, I'd been underway before. Then we worked out a payment plan. We still weren't—I I knew we owed some, but we didn't think we owed as much as they were claiming. So we had a payment plan until while well, we worked it through. Well, then I did that interview in that— April of 11, I guess it was, and 12, by October 12, I, I'm drawing a little blank on the year, maybe it's 12, all of it in 12, but anyway, in October, uh, they slapped, I slapped a lien on my house, and they didn't do it locally, they did it in Chicago, and we didn't find out about it until through a backward channel, and, you know, and... That's when I wrote a Facebook thing that, you know, folks had said this about Obama. I didn't believe it. And, oh, I know. And this is after the stuff broke in Cleveland or Cincy, wherever the ages are going rogue. I said, but I said, I don't have any evidence of it yet or something like that. And they said, well, you're trying the news director, GM, you're trying to politicize the IRS and make a cover for yourself. I said, oh, first of all, you can't politicize the IRS. I said, secondly, I, I admit I owe money. That's not the point, but everybody's allowed to owe money. I have a payment plan. They yanked it from me, put a lien on my house. And to this, we never got a, I didn't get at that time a clear understanding. Found out later uh, that apparently some other little quirk of law came in that I didn't know. My attorney didn't know. He wasn't a tax attorney, which was probably my mistake. I didn't have an actual tax attorney. Either way, they felt they were justified to do it. And they used that. We fought it, lost, and they decided to get rid of me. So you say you used that, you fought it, they lost. So they fire you. They and you me. fight it. They they fired me on the basis that they claimed that I had. Oh, I, the other thing is, when I ran that story on the Facebook thing, I didn't. I didn't ever want to put stuff on Facebook. They wanted me to. I thought I'm watching what our people put on Facebook. I looked out, went outside. The arch is pretty. Today. I thought, who wants to care? So that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do news content, and I started promoting stories in such a way that the new, same new director who's upset with me. And the head of their website praising me, you got to teach other people how to do this. You're getting more response on yours than anything else. So I would take and use content, much like you do mm-hmm. on your stuff. And so I decided to make that Facebook posting about the IRS, not saying they did anything wrong, and just raising questions. And it caught all the well, the conservative media had interest. Dana Lash was here in the town at the time. She wanted to do an interview, uh, and I did send copy. Every time I'd do any Facebook posting that I thought I could send, I would send, if it's an abortion issue, I'd send it to pro and anti-abortion groups. Stir mm-hmm. up content, get people going back and forth on it. Well, the station said, uh, you know, you reached out to conservative groups. said, I did, but I reached out to others as well, you know, and I did a piece the next day about how Bush, 41, had actually used the IRS against a church in California when he was running in office, so... But they were looking for a way. 
They use that. So, so is this actually you know, how does how does it play out? So then you you they, fight it. They, they, well, they called me in one day and said uh, we reviewed everything. We're going to terminate you because you have uh, Were you ruined suspended your credibility. This? No, no suspension. So you're just bl- you're well, just let me called put this in. Way. Let me put it this way. I probably I guess I was was taken off the air. So I guess you call it suspension. Okay. Oh, that was yeah. That's right. They took me off the air. So then I show up in the newsroom the next day, and the newsroom comes and said, "What are you doing here?" I said, "Well, I'm here to do some work." He said. You're off the air. I said, yeah, but I mean, I can work behind the scenes, write scripts, help out. What do you want me to do? He said, you're not supposed to be here. I said, well, you didn't make that clear to me. He said, I did make it clear to you. I said, okay, I'll leave. I didn't make any noise. Didn't say anything. Anybody just picked up and left. And uh, they were going to charge me a trespassing. Oh, my God. They, they really were. <laughs> and then uh, later when they did fire me, uh, went back down to pick up my belongings over a weekend, get them out. And the news director had said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get your stuff to you at some point or whatever. So I thought, well, I'll just go down and do it, save anybody trouble. Not a big deal. Went down, cleaned off. I literally wiped down my desk, cleaned it all off. And he found out about it Monday and said, and now we're definitely going to file trespassing on you. I said, what? Because you came in here illegally. I said, I still have my pass key. You didn't take my pass key from me, my garage key. I thought I still had access to the building. So that was their whole attitude. So it was clear. So both of those guys had an attitude that they were going to get rid of me, and then and I don't hold Steve Savard responsible in any way. It was an opportunity for him, so they promoted him. I'd been out, hurt my shoulder, <clears throat> came back, and I was out for t- four weeks. And they said during that time they ran surveys, found that Steve was going to be better at ten, and I'd do better at five. And I said, "Listen, I've been in your rating wars for twelve, fifteen years before you guys got here, and every time we either won or number two. How can you judge five, four weeks? Well, this is what we're going to do. And I said, well, I can do all these newscasts. Well, no, we're just going to have you do the five. And I said, and why would I come off the 10? And the news director said, well, you say that you've been away with your family, with your surgery, and you like being home, so you want to stay home. And I said, that's your lie, not mine. I'm not telling it. And that's when the GM said, you have a contract coming up here, don't you, this next December? It's just the three of us in the room. So it's going to be my word against theirs. And it was at that time too. And the news director went silent and the GM asked that question. I just leaned toward and said, are you pulling on a knife threatening me before we get to contract negotiations? No, no, that's not my intent at all. That was not what I said. That's in court testimony, by the way. So it's nothing I'm telling out of case. Mm -hmm. It, It became part of the court testimony, but open court testimony, but that was it. They were looking to get rid of me. And so they did. And then I couldn't work for a year in the business at all. Which is a fascinating element of the non-competes. Yeah, when they that, fire the, that the average person listening yeah. doesn't realize you get fired. Yeah. You can't if I volunteered work. to go somewhere else, yeah, they said, no, you're right. not allowed to do it. But I got fired, and I couldn't do anything in broadcasting. No radio, nothing. So, and then so when I could, it took a while to put it getting fired from, from KMOV, which is just like a, a huge thing. I mean, that's a huge thing. It was, yeah. What What is that? Do they call you? Is it actually done in the GM's office? It was what done is, in the GM's office. Was uh, it in the, a separate meeting than that one where they brought It was a separate the meeting with them, with him and Did his you know news director. I, we didn't know. They said they were going to – they they knew the union representative, the after union rep was going to be out of town a certain day. He had said, look, I can meet with you guys anyway except this day. Well, sure enough, that's the day they decide they want to call the meeting. So he's on the phone uh, from wherever he was. And they said, so we're going to terminate you and shove the termination papers to me. And uh, so the after rep said, Larry, just take it and leave. Just leave it right now. So I just walked out of the room. 
and that was it. And to, to me, it was how my career came to on TV news for this market came to a crashing end like that when I, you know, I didn't think I was guilty. You know, so you didn't like what I put on Facebook. They have now, since then, they start teaching people what they want or don't want, so forth, and had a schooling for it. I'm smart enough to know. I could have claimed, well, I didn't know. But, I mean, there was no guideline, and I was doing what they wanted me to. I wouldn't have been on Facebook, except they wanted to be on <laughs> yeah. it. You know, so uh, it was just a unceremonious execution of the night, basically. And, of course, I can't really explain to anybody. The next day, I'm gone, and the word is out, spreading like a wildfire. And I had somebody in town start a Facebook campaign on my behalf. And, of course, I had to start another Facebook of my own because that one got shut down. Right. So, so you take it to court, a, correct? Yep. We went we went through mo- uh, mediation twice. Yep. And what was what was your uh, convention? That's where I am there? under a gag order. I ah, just right. can't discuss right. the details right. of what happened there. But it's over now. It's done. It's done. It's done. Wow. I mean, it's just. But they, uh, you know, they destroyed me. They they sat down and did what they wanted as far as what I was in this community. It's and uh, you know, and it's it's been hard in many ways personally, uh, friends, a marriage. All went upside down, and and I'm not. I can't blame them and the wreck of that, but it's a repercussion and a fallout that has just been amazing. Do you look back on and go, I, "Yeah, here I screwed up," or do you feel like it was it was a case? I don't against- think I did screw up, but but here's the thing about it. Our point being that so I'm so I posted something they didn't like. As the uh, the representative for the union said, he'd had anchors get drunk in a company car, have a crash, and they get suspended, not fired. So suspend Larry, suspend him without pay, but to fire him over that, that was the whole point. Uh-huh. That that was really the breaker right. at that point. But they were, and I told both, and I had asked him, why are you making this anchor change anyway? Well, we're looking out for the future of the station. And I told both of them, you guys won't be here a year from now. Sure enough, six months later, the news director is off to somewhere else. And a few months after that, the GM is gone. <laughs> and you'd been there since 75. They came in and gutted my career and then moved on. God. So... They'll, they'll get there else. somewhere down the road. That's something else. Well, that then leads to as awful as the whole scenario that played out for obviously a long period of time was getting into radio full time. Right. Correct? Is that is that an accurate depiction? Yeah, you yeah, have to I, sit out I, for a know, year. Yeah, and I talked. I talked to uh, the only other station I talked to in town was Spencer over at two, but we couldn't really find a way to make it work because he had a good team on. I, I didn't want to come in and take somebody's job. I was trying to create something new. Uh, and then I got to think, you know, I love radio. So that's when I started looking at and kind of coming up with my own program. And somebody have asked, do, do you want to go back as a news anchor? And I don't, first of all, I can't because I've expressed my political views now. I can't be a news anchor now. For years, no one knew where my political stance was, which is fine. Shouldn't know as a news anchor. Now as a doing that, I could go back and do commentary somewhere. Otherwise, the only thing I miss about the anchor chair is not being there when a major story breaks, like right. I said earlier. For example, Ferguson would strike me as one that Ferguson worked on one, the anchor yeah, desk. Yeah. And, 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 and we touched on it some in radio, but on my program, I was not trying to build just for a local audience. I'm trying to throw a wider net. Uh-huh. We're looking for syndication down the road. But beyond that right now, it was getting enough local coverage. I did I did to the extent I had to. Uh, but, yeah, I, I should have been in the anchor chair on that point right. or in the field on it. Please support the sponsors. When it gets down to it, it is a business, and we are lucky to have the caliber of sponsors that we have in addition to the caliber of guests that we've had. And James Carlton of the James Carlton Agency is one that I ask you to support because I know this, everybody's got to have insurance. So 
if you got to do it, do it with somebody who not only is a supporter of the show, but also somebody who receives awards for the caliber of service he and his staff provide at the James Carlton Agency. James Carlton, a state farm agent. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. In fact, go to his website right now and go check them out at carltoninsurance.net. Call James, 314-961-4800. Call James, and he very well can get you better coverage and start saving you money. In fact, he often can include $100,000 in life insurance without even increasing your payment. The switch is easy. They do all the paperwork for you. Just takes one phone call or apply online at carltoninsurance.net. People do business with James because they like him and they trust him. He is local and he has established himself as one of the best in the business. James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent. So for those who haven't listened to your radio show, uh, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. here on 590, the fan KFNS, how would you describe your show? A lot of folks thought it was all put politics. It's not. It has a political leaning. I have a leaning, and I speak my voice, my mind, but I open up. It's my The basic fabric of Larry Connors is fairness, and so I always will allow the other side on as well. Now, if they're way off base on their facts on either side, then I, you know, I say that's we're going to have to pull a halt here and nail you down on the fact. But otherwise, it's that. It's some trending issues. I've spent time on the Kaepernick issue, kneeling at the National Anthem, Second Amendment. But a lot of these things I'm naming now, they say, well, that's all politics, too. Well, it has become politicized. You're right. But not all of it. Uh, did a piece the other day on chain migration, which, again, you can say politics, but it's a national security issue and what we're doing or not doing and things about this and the terrorist actions. And so you can tie everything. And, and there's no doubt that Trump has been largely responsible for that. But all of it has some political ties. It's just that which way are you pushing it? But I have I've guessed on that do not agree with me, and I'll uh, take calls that don't agree with me. The text line has been one of those things. I've had to shut one guy off. I said, I'll, re- I'll read his remarks once just to sh- show folks that here's someone out there who really thinks I'm an idiot, which I have no problem. I, <laughs> I can plead to be an idiot from time <laughs> to time. But I start saying, well, you know, I'm not going to read his text all the time because it gives him, you know, he's sitting back there somewhere in the dark or eating Cheetos on a beanbag in a basement. <laughs> And I'm not going to do it for him all the time. <laughs> and and same thing with people always texting, saying how great I am. I don't get enough. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my, my, that text inbox is something else, isn't it? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. That's something else. That, that's kind of replaced the phone call on our show. Yeah. I mean, we get so many texts. Yeah, and, and the other problem with that, and, I've, and I love your show, but I have, and I've heard you read some of those extended texts, but, but it also, well, you guys have a great chemistry anyway, the three of you. Uh, but... And, and you guys do it well with that. And then you don't need, I don't need phone calls either on my program. You certainly don't. And I don't have to have them on mine because when I go in, I have more than enough material. I, I produce a highly produced program. You get produced, here, you I get have here a at like 1 o'clock program. every well, day. I get o'clock. here at I mean, 7.07 and our show starts at 7. Well, but you guys, you're, you're, you're top of the mind and what's happened the morning. It's perfect. I, I do put a lot of detail in formatting and stretching things. And I may change things at the last minute. I do have a highly produced program. And I'm very big on time right i won't i love frank but i want his program off the air 10 seconds before six o'clock <laughs> get the id in we go sick and when charlie comes on he comes on at exactly eight o'clock every night because yeah. it's used to network timing i'm yeah. going to be off at yeah. that time but 
Beyond that, it's I don't have to have the cause. But I'm afraid too many times folks now use a text. They don't want to get on the air talking. You know that. And it's an easy way for them to voice some opinion. But I, I would rather have them call Frank Opinion I've talked about. He said, I don't want to read the text because then they will use the text or and I want them to call. Right. I have to agree with him. But, yeah, it cuts you know. both ways. I guess the text is good because you can filter what you're going to read to set the, the pace for the discussion, the That's narrative. That's true. But if somebody is critical, you can't have a conversation with them. And you also, of course, the written word doesn't provide the context true, of the spoken word, true. the tone. So it does cut both ways. On our show, you getting tasered <laughs> is an all-time classic. Yeah. But my God, just looking back on just getting tasered, that, 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 you did that at like, in, it was right around the time I was leaving. It was like 2004, 2005. What was that experience like? Well, we did it for a legitimate reason. It's It was not the biggest journalistic story I've ever done. I've done a lot <laughs> more major stories. But legit, uh, on the journalism side, there were deaths being associated with a taser. Uh, and were they dead, be, uh, dying because they were hopped on drugs? Right. And this was too much for them to handle? Did they have bad heart conditions or whatever? Uh, were police officers abusing it? So there's a lot of legitimate questions. We set it up as a two-part series. First part showing what it would do to an 1,800-pound steer just sending in what they call plank. He falls over on his side, mm-hmm. four legs just stuck straight out, and he gets up and he's pissed, starts charging the fence. So if it'll drop an 1,800-pound steer, so when we go to do it, I have an ambulance crew, a paramedic crew standing by because the station insisted on it, which I thought was probably a good idea, but I yeah. thought I'd be fine. And I, we've got a mat for me to fall on, and I'm going to hit the pavement. And we've set it up that it's a simulated thing. If I escalate, if I'm coming at the guy with a bat, well, then Taser's a good weapon for him to use him against me. If I pull a knife, Taser might work, but he might go to the pistol. If I pull a pistol, he's definitely going to go to the pistol. So the idea is when is a Taser effective and when should it be used or when do you have to escalate? So we plot the scenario out, had two cameramen there, and uh, I tell them we're only going to do this one time, guys, so make sure both of you are set and rolling. And I'm, we, we make clear it's a staged event. I mean, it's obviously. I've got a goggles right, on. Right. i got a bat up. I'm yelling at the guy right. like if he's facing someone like that. Steve King of uh, Metro Shooting is one of my sponsors. He was, we're doing it over there at his operation. And so I'm going at him with a bat, and I keep advancing on him. I'm thinking, well, let's start this all over again because he's not. And all of a sudden, he fires it. And I can see it snaking at me. These are barbs coming out. You can see this coming. We've got these little wires. It's not like a bullet. You can see them coming at you. Ah! And they drop, I think, about eight degrees difference. And I told him, aim high because I don't want them to go too low. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even as he aimed high, one hit me right in the sternum, and one hit me just above the belly button. I mean, it's that. So if it aimed here, it was going to be, yeah, right, a little bit lower. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and when it hit, I mean, it's just, I'd already told him, said, when you hit me, and I, Get on the ground. I'm going to get up with the bat and come at you again. He said, oh, yeah, right. Well, when he hit me, I just, and I said, I want the full ride, 50,000 vote, eight seconds or whatever it is. And the bat went flying off somewhere. I, it was somewhere across the room. And my fist clenched. The muscles tightened, excruciating pain. And that was for real. And I fall flat on my face. This These little probes have barb hooks in them because, so they will hook and attach because if they fall out, then they're not giving you the charge anymore. If you have on a lot of clothing, at least they hold the clothing and maybe it will work, but mainly needs contact the skin. Well, this one, I just had a light T-shirt on, went right into the sternum. And when I fell, it bent it, so it ripped it. And so now I got blood dripping down. It looks like, you know, oh. so it's not. 
But and so the down down the ground, and you know, and as I begin to come out, I go back. It's a staged event, play acting. Start shouting like somebody. If they, why'd you do that? I was giving. I wasn't going to, you know. And some people were. And the, some of the yelling, believe me, was not play <laughs> acting. I mean, it yeah, was, that's it involuntary, was, right? Yeah, it was excruciating. I mean, you know, I, I, I how told long do you myself, feel the pain? How long? I mean, I, I, I'm sure it felt like 20 minutes, but I, you know, I it's an eight second ride. Oh, so it eight was, and, and I long. used to ride bulls, and eight seconds a long time. Anyway, yeah, right. I'd forgotten how long they could be. <laughs> but anyway, I. Uh, but when how I would you describe the pain? Because most of us have not been tased. I don't believe it's anyway. something. I it's something I've I've never felt before. Is it burning. And, is it? I mean, yeah, and and just the whole body is tensed up. It's just. Ah. Like your whole body's being crushed, and at the same time, it wants to explode. That's oh, I don't know if that's a good analogy. I've had several police officers come to me and said, we have to take training for that, and I can't believe you did it. But what they do normally, they just hook them up. They put two electrodes on them and just hit them for a quick burst and watch them drop, and just so they know what they're doing. But it's not the full ride. So anyway, oh, I got a lot of cred with the street cops on that hey, Oh, my God. So anyway, I uh, we get up, and, th- and I start explaining what happened, and— uh, but like I say, it was not the most journalistic, best journalistic piece I've ever done. Yet it had a legitimate base for doing it, and it was one of those things that took a life of its own. Oh, yeah. Well, the clip is – the audio is classic. Yeah. But well, it's the same God. thing when I flew with the Blue Angels, and I'm in the back of the seat, and, and you're supposed to clench your legs, and you had to do this guttural yell from your gut to keep from blacking out. Because when he starts pulling these Gs, you will black out. I mean, and you see people just drop yeah, off. Yeah, so. The, we were doing the last one we did. We came back over the airport. We we're doing about six and a half G's bullet and just pulling the bank up. And I'm fighting and fighting. I could feel the dark, 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 dark. And all of a sudden it breaks free because I did not black out, but I thought I would. But, but that again, everybody said, well, you didn't look so I said, I wasn't trying to look good. <laughs> trying to tell a story. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> now, another thing that I bet now this, I, I think, think I've extended my time way too much. Oh, no, I I, now it's thing. only if you got to get out of here. No, no. I just, feel like I I'm, love this. See, I, I could go forever, but then I'm always like, oh, I got to let the guy go. But you get here so damn early well, to do your show. I guess you had to make a uh, one and a half program. <laughs> <laughs> or edit the hell out of I it. know. I love going long. <laughs> you and I both have a love of the game of poker. Now, you're still playing, I think, whereas I don't really play that much. Are you still playing? I am. The Heartland Poker Series was, was just, just here. here. Did you play in the main event? I did not play. I played a $500 entry event. How'd you and, do? And I fell four short. Of, oh, you uh, bubbled? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I was way short of the bubble. I say four short. It might have been. 10 short. I, I don't remember. Either way, I didn't qualify to bag the next day, and okay. I only took one shot at I'd been really running bad on this series. Now, they, when they're here in October, on the first multi-day, uh, I took third in that out of 900, so that, really? was, that was a good payday. Oh, my God. And what, what was and the buy-in on that? That was, uh, that was a 350 but I got in for an $85 satellite. For folks who don't know, pay a table, you, they take two winners or I forgot how many they had. That well, I guess we had eight players total out of several tables going right. to get a seat for the three fifty. So, so you're I only in for eighty five. And what did that pay? Can we talk poker with two thousand? Oh, 22. God, God for, yeah. America. Well, the second place was thirty five, and first was fifty one. And I should have on a three fifty buy in. Yeah, wow. They had they had nine hundred. I guess plus so. players. And was the, this HPT or was this WPT? It was HPT. WPT. Okay. And uh, the Heartland Poker Tour and the. And when we're down to three of us, and as a poker player, you can understand, I assume many out there listening do, uh, ace is always a big card when you're th- or a pair, three-handed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a little over $2.6 million in front of me in chips. How many big blinds? We'll, per- we'll poker at, nerd out here. I'll at that time, I think we were at, uh, I think we might have been 
two fifty five hundred thousand. I think okay. uh, it wasn't it that much. I take it back. Probably fifty a hundred more. Think about it. Uh, the guy on the button had the most chips. He has six hundred million, and uh, I mean six million. And the guy on the small blind had uh, maybe four million. Okay. So I'm the short stack, and you're in the big blind. I'm in the big blind. The button is the first to act, of course. He makes a three and a half times raise, or two and a half. It's standard raise. Small blind gets out. I look down. I got pocket sixes, two red sixes. I think. Well, I'm not gonna go to the wall. I'm not gonna shove down. Let's see the flop. So I just make the call. I figure he's got a big ace, ace king, ace queen, ace jack, something like that. When I see the flop, there are two spades out there, so I have to worry about a flush. The biggest card on the deck is a ten. And I think this is it. So I shove my sixes. He instantly. You calls. lead out shove? I, I shove. He's on a flush. First act. And I shove. And uh, I was right. He had a big ace, but it was an ace 10. Ace 10. Ah! If it had a, ace king, ace jack, ace queen, none of those hit. No ace hit. Yeah. And I would have jumped up to second place easily and maybe had a chance at first. Wow. But, so, you know. What's your, what's your best cash in your poker uh, career? I've had some stacks out uh, the Venetian and Vegas. I've, uh, I've played a lot done, of those. Yeah, I've done, you know, a couple around 20, 25. Wow. And several around, they know, eight or something like that. Wow. And a few, four or five, you know. Do you but, play but cash you know, as well? You know, Tim, you know, if you're going to cash in a lot of tournaments, you got to play a lot of tournaments. Absolutely. So, and you got, and you obviously have to run good, but you have to be you good. You have to run good, be good. The best hands have to hold up. You have to come from behind on the other hands, and you got to win the races. You I mean, everything. Win your flips. You yeah. Know, so. I just, I, is, have you played the World Series Poker main event? I know we've talked about it, but I can't remember what. I had, I had, uh, I'm in a league to, to win a seat next year, and I'm doing pretty well in the league so far, but it's still ways to go. I have played in a couple of the events out there. I don't really like their structure at the time. It's too few chips, too little time. I played in those the smaller World Series events. It, well, yeah, the, the oh, seniors and stuff like that. I so agree I, with you. You know, I go out there and I'll take a shot at one of those. I get one. I don't ever put my own money into some main event right. if I'm not if yeah, I it's win. A Ten thousand dollars. I, I could have put, put some of the winnings from October into the main event right. here, but I was running so bad on everything. I was touching. I made one final table in this last time. It's a seven o'clock event, but they had a short stack group and I didn't get the money. I was outside. So, and every cash game I played out there this last time, I lost two to $300 every single day. I played nothing. I aces crack King. It wouldn't make a difference. What's your game when you're playing cash? Usually I I normally stick with hold them. Yeah. Yeah. I used to play, we used to play some really big, uh, down in Texas years ago, uh, uh, Omaha. And it was That's gotten it, really it got really big. Yeah, I'm kinda out of the poker scene now, it, but that PLO and it's so yeah, swingy. It was a sanctioned game down there, and by that I mean it was we had some sheriffs, politicians involved. We were protected, you know. I went in this one day with five thousand. I mean, I had built up a nice so I went in with five thousand, built it up to around twenty in this game. Ooh. I'm getting ready to go. I don't tell anybody. I never telegraph when I get ready to go, but in my mind this hand's going to be my last one. Oh, God. And I, I look I down. I, I, get, I already hate the story. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I got king three, king three, suited, double suit. This is Omaha for the record. Yeah, Omaha, yeah. Years. So I got four cards. The flop comes out, two kings and an ace. And one of the ace and kings out there is suited. And the betting starts. Now, I know somebody's got two aces oh in there. Oh, my God. I can't so believe what's I, and they got aces here. over kings. I know they're not going to give that up. I think one of them might be trying for a royal, you know, with one of the ace kings suited. 
that pot gets up to seventy-five plus. Seventy-five thousand dollars. Seventy-five thousand dollars. My twenties in there. It's probably more than that. More think about it. And I'm thinking, yeah, I had to be a little bit more than that. Well, one of the other guys somewhere in there. And the other guy dropped at some point, so it's somewhere in that. And the last freaking ace in the deck oh, comes. Oh no! A one outer for a seventy-five thousand dollar pot. It's no. not. It's not. No. The, it's not the much that I lost the five I went in, or even the twenty. But what I could have won. Oh What I could have won. God. And I quit. I said I'm never playing that game for cash anymore. Oh. I just don't do. I play tournaments. Omaha occasionally. Oh. But I will not play it for cash. I mean, if I do, it's two five ah. or something like that. I just I said that is when did it. this happen? You probably you know, remember the night and the time and everything. Was yeah, this like recent or oh, is this like no, no 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 this is this years ago for oh, every kid. This oh is in the early seventies. I mean it's and like I say it was just kind of starting I didn't know much about Omaha. I, I'd been in Amarillo, I told you. I knew Amarillo Slim. I'd played oh, did you really? I'd played poker with Amarillo I saw Slim. him out at like Ameristar yeah, or something. Yeah he was a few years well, ago. he was there he was out at Hollywood uh, Harrah's at that That's time when was, they okay. had SOP yeah, event. I saw him there. And I saw him one of the last times he was there and he had a Maybe you saw them the same time. All dressed in yellow, yellow jacket, yellow pants, yellow tie, yellow boots. And every time we'd see each other in Amarillo, we were always joking about the boots. And of course, I didn't have a lot of money for boots in, and he always had the best boots. So I walked up to him one of the last times when he was still alive. I saw him and said, my boots are as good as yours this time. And we kind of laughed and yeah. joked a little bit. He remembered me, but his mind was getting, you know, I, yeah. I, I think he did. He acted like he did. Yeah, so yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, and somebody did ask him, said, What's the population of Amarillo? He said, same it's always been for 35 years. I said, what? Yeah, for 35 years, it hasn't changed. Wait, it hasn't changed in 35 years? No. He said, somebody gets pregnant, somebody leaves town. <laughs> <laughs> said, it did change one time. Somebody got pregnant, two guys left town. <laughs> that's Amarillo Slim, that's right? That's Amarillo Slim. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, yeah. this has been... Awesome. I've loved it. I well, loved thank you. It. I enjoyed it. Thank I really you. enjoyed it because I, I, I knew there were a lot of stories, but I didn't know all these stories. And I, I'm, I'm not going to sleep at night over the one-outer with the 75. I remember a one-outer like in a $300 buy-in out at like the World Series of Poker Circuit here because I'm just like, that's so mathematically. But Omaha, for a $75,000 pot. Omaha, ah! Omaha, as you know, is... is it's as swingy it's, as it gets. It's... it's, it's, it's Three six on cocaine. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. you know they're not going to go anywhere. And oh. I, I, he had aces over kings. Yeah, you He's can't not blame him. That right? Up. I don't blame him one bit. Oh my god! You know that's oh that's just god. the thing that just for a seven hundred fifty dollar pot, it's a huge deal. Seventy five thousand. <laughs> well, like I say, I mean, I just said that's if I could have stopped it short of that last thing, I would have said. I'll take what I've got, or we'll chop it. I don't. Yeah. Care. Let's let's call it right, right. now. <laughs> oh. oh God. So oh, that's sick. it just you know, but all the money was in before that came anyway. So you know, there's nothing you can do. But oh. I I don't. I, that's why I don't play that. But I tell you, <laughs> yeah, it's a good. It's yeah, a good I, I've got unfortunately uh, uh probably overburdened you with some of these. I there's so many news stories out there. I keep saying, and for long, I've even had a title of the book. It's not just a job; it's an adventure. I've got probably easily 40 chapters on different subjects of stories so that you covered that it, yeah or things along that line that'd be interesting at some point i i need to do it before long because you know i'm not getting i'm not even getting any younger <laughs> <laughs> i would i would love to read that now would these be mostly st louis stories oh I mean, no, been, no 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 not, yeah everywhere and, and beyond here yeah. and and uh there's a houston mass murders case there's a whorehouse best chicken ranch in texas that's part of uh, undercover working quote undercover in Houston, uh, homeless streets here in St. Louis is one of them. What's the biggest story you covered in St. Louis? I feel like I should I should try and guess it, but maybe I would miss. Well, it. I got it. You know, the, again, uh, 
probably the biggest one that affected the region was the the great flood. 93? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I was on the air live. I, I do remember that that Sunday I'm on the air live when uh, a dam breaks and we've got a chopper out over a farm area and it starts sweeping this farmhouse off. And, so that was the KMOV shot. That's a famous yeah, shot from yeah. that, that, well, that and, white house. And uh, I, I, I'm sure it was ours. We had it. So I guess his pool, I, I, right. I assume it was us. Uh, and a, got a relative uh, of the family that owns it, a girl who grew up in the house, calls to the station. I've got her on the phone. We're talking. And, uh, you know, her memories and just, you know, her devastation of watching it. Everybody's out of there. They're okay. And then I remember a guy that called up complaining because we were interrupting uh, Sunday morning with Charles Carrot. And I went ballistic on the air, you know. I said, Carrot would not want to be. He would say, this is what we should be doing. You're an idiot. Uh, oh, yeah, you said yeah, this on the air? Pre- I, pretty much something like that. <laughs> I know I came off the news director and said, you might have gone a little bit far. I said, I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn. An idiot something like that like calls that. up, but, you know, so. God, that was, that was, that was yeah. incredible. That was incredible. But you've seen You guys it are great, and I do. I enjoy listening to you and the cat and Doug. Doug, I think, as you, I've always thought Doug was outstanding. I mean, I remember one time. They were going to get rid of him at Channel 4. And I went in, and Julius went in, too. We said, Doug's a good guy. He works hard. You can't get rid of this guy. And he's had several lives to stay there, and I'm glad. Yeah, I've been I did, there since I did 88, hear, I think. I did, and, and Kusamano is another great guy that's here with the station. I heard him take a good little dig at Doug this morning talking about doing stand-ups. He, he said, one, I would do it one, and Doug might take three or four. Four or twelve <laughs> to get right. <laughs> so it's it's a good group. I'm I'm glad to be part of this. I'm, yeah, I'm proud of the I mean the lineup is. And I'm I'm proud to be part of the team with you talented. guys. Uh, the owner Randy Markell is an amazing person, as you know. What a what a, what a, what a character. What a, a character. character is right. Yeah. And uh, you guys, when you picked up uh, Frank being the franchise over KTRS, yeah. that told me you, you were serious. I had never it. met Frank Opinion before. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I always respect because I've really kind of essentially copied his model, except with our audience. Right. But what he has done, I just couldn't have a bigger respect for. And he comes into our studio one day and just starts telling his career story. Oh, he's, And yeah. he's just like, you yeah. talk about a storyteller. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's been awesome. And yeah. this, this, this has been phenomenal. I've loved well, it. Thank, thank you Thank so you much for the time. opportunity, guys. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank Larry you. Connors. Thank you. So there it was. I, you know, when I, when I, when I, when I think back on the interview... I think the thing that's probably going to stand out to me most, actually, is the one-outer in Omaha. Uh, what a horrifying story. But for those of you who don't play poker and have no idea even what a one-outer is, uh, you'll, you'll probably focus on him discussing, uh, I mean, there's no way that you can't call it an exit. He called it what it was. It was a firing from KMOV. I would imagine a lot of people who don't even have any clue who I am or about this podcast are going to wind up listening to it because Larry goes into some newsworthy stuff. Uh, that I certainly hadn't heard him discuss. I knew the background, but I didn't know the detail with which uh, he provided his side of the story. And uh, certainly uh, emotional for him to be in St. Louis dating back to 1975, uh, to leave KMOV in 79-80 to go to KTVI, and then come back to KMOV 86 all the way to 2013. I mean, that's just... That you, you like, it's kind of like Cal Ripken's streak. You just won't, you won't see that again in this business. The business has obviously changed a great deal anyway, uh, but uh, you won't see a run like that again. And for it to end how it ended, uh, clearly bothers Larry. So, so much in that interview. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed conducting it. And uh, an absolute pleasure to talk with uh, Larry Connors, our teammate here at 590 The Fan. KFNS. Any guest suggestions, any feedback, you're always welcome 
to please email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. And also, please make sure you support our sponsors. Our studios are sponsored by Ryan Kelly and thehomeloanexpert.com. And, of course, our sponsor, James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent and Gateway Buick GMC. If you've missed any previous conversations and you're new to the podcast, we've been doing it now for two and a half months. Gary Pinkle, Jack Danforth, uh, Chris Kerber, Isaac Bruce, Megan Green, Lux from 105.7 The Point, Dave Glover. I'm sure I'm leaving people out, and it's going to be embarrassing that I have. Uh, but uh, we continue to try and bring you uh, big names, especially in the St. Louis area, uh, but also big names in entertainment, sports, and politics. And we look forward to continue doing that into the next year. So for my executive producer, John Seymour, I'm Tim McKernan. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network.